You know, darkness reveals our need for light. Darkness reveals our, our need for light. When I was in, in uh, elementary school, middle school, I don't remember exactly when it was. I think it was in elementary school. I was up here in Prince William County, and uh, when, you're, when you're in northern Virginia and you're in school, you go of one of two, one of two places for, for field trips. You either go to D.C., or you go west. And we went west this one time and we went to the caverns. I think we were at Luray Caverns. And it's, it's a number of years back, so there's not a ton that I remember. I do remember we talked about the stalagmites and the stalactites and how you tell the difference. If, if it's a stalagmite, it might reach the ceiling. If it's a stalactite, you hope that it's holding tight to the ceiling and doesn't impale you. Um, they didn't say the impaling part, but all of us kids thought it. Um, you know, we learned those things. But it's interesting that one of the most significant facts that I remembered was when they took all the artificial light, you know, you're in the caverns, these, these caves, uh, and, and the sunlight doesn't reach, and so they have to have artificial light, and they turned all the lights off, and it was fine. I was not afraid of the dark, or at least I didn't tell anyone that I was afraid of the dark, and they let it sit, and at some point they turned the lights on, but I think it was in the dark that they said, if you were to stay in this environment for two weeks, you would go blind. And, and they weren't kidding. The, the, the sheer lack of, of, of visual stimulus would cause your eyes to, to stop working. Uh, it, was, it was one of the darkest moments I've ever experienced. You know, I think maybe one or two kids had these Casio uh, Indiglo lights. But by and large, it was, it was pitch black. This kind of thing where you can have your hand in front of you and you can't see anything. And... And when we turned the lights on, I, we had a certain appreciation for the fact that we were not stuck in the darkness. You know, darkness reveals our need for light. And we're going to talk about that today. So would you stand with me as we prepare by reading the Word of God together? I'm going to read it out loud. We've already read through it once, so I'm going to read it. You can listen. This is Isaiah chapter 9, verses 1 through 7. But there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. In former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, but in the latter time, he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwell in the land of deep darkness, on them has light shined. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden and the staff of his shoulder and the rod of his oppressor you have broken as on the day of Midian. For every boot of the tramping warrior in the battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. For to us a child is born. To us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom, to establish it and uphold it with justice and righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. This is the word of the Lord to us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we recognize and we appreciate your gift of your son, that a child has been born and a son has been given. 
And Lord, as we consider your word, I pray that we would be sensitive to the, the reality of living in darkness apart from you. Lord, the reality of living in anguish, the reality of, of being under the, the yoke of oppression. God, there are so many things that are askew, that are twisted, that are perverted because of sin in our world, both, both in the world and in our own souls. And so, God, I pray that you would help us to see freshly our need for Jesus and the provision that we have in Jesus. And as we, as we take the month of December to meditate on, on the, the coming of, of this blessed, awesome, amazing gift who is your son, God, I pray that you would help us to greatly appreciate it because we've seen our sin, we've seen our need, and we've recognized what a great sacrifice and gift you've made. Holy Spirit, would you minister to us? Help us to see the places where we've tried to cover over our own brokenness, our own sin, our own rebellion. And help us to bring those things to you so that we might trust you and hope in you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You can be seated. So I'm going to give you some context, and then we're going to talk about how this applies to your life and my life. Uh, when you... When you read the, the prophets, if you're anything like me, you want this to be meaningful, but sometimes it, it seems a little removed. The, the, the New Testament seems to be a little bit less removed, a little bit easier to relate to. So you read names like Zebulun and Naphtali and Galilee of the nations, and you might begin to tune it out and say, okay, well, that's, that's interesting stuff, I guess, for people who are interested in the history of, of the Bible or of Israel, but what does it have to do with me? Well, it, Isaiah is a prophet, and he's speaking around the 8th century B.C., and the northern part of Israel had been invaded by this nation, the Assyrians, and they had been taken over, and, and these places, Zebulun and Naphtali, they were on the northern border, and so they were the first to be invaded, to, to experience the oppression of this, this Assyrian people, and they were a nasty people. They, they did bad things. They, they were not... It was not a good time for them. So this was not just kind of like, well, you know, they've raised the taxes and they're, they're not very just. You know, the courts are not. No, they were, they were cruel people. And these people needed to hear good news. And, and Isaiah is speaking into that reality. And at the same time, he's speaking at a distance. Because even though we see that some of this is in the past tense, it's really this kind of prophetic past tense that, that Isaiah is so in tune with what he sees that he's saying it as though it's already happened, even though for them it has not happened. Even though for them, they're, they're waiting and they're hoping for what's to come. The people were under oppression and probably felt abandoned by God. They needed good news. And so today we're going to talk about this good news. Uh, it's, it's God's promise to us. We're going to talk about the promise of good news from an unexpected source for a glorious future. I'll say that again. We're going to talk about the promise of good news from an unexpected source for a glorious future. So look at verse 1 with me. He said, But there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. In the former time, in the time before, he brought contempt, brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the latter time, he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. As I said, 
They were in need of good news. They'd been invaded. They were under oppression, and they needed an encouragement that, that God had not forgotten them. He had made promises, I will not leave you. He had made promises to Abraham. He had made promises uh, that, that he would raise up a leader. He made a promise to David that, that his nation or his kingdom would, would reign and, and continue on, that, that one of his, his offspring would rule. But they needed a promise, and they needed good news. And, and you and I don't have to look far in our world to realize that, that we need good news because bad news surrounds us everywhere. We don't, need, we don't even need, if, if we're being honest, to look outside the world to see that, that there's bad news. We, we just need to be honest with ourselves. You know, it's that moment where you're alone and, and you, you have the initial, rea- I've got to get my phone out because I just can't be left alone with my thoughts. We, we have bad news that surrounds us. Bad news in the world about corruption, greed, suffering, injustice. Just turn on your favorite or your least favorite news outlet. And you're going to see a story about corruption, greed, suffering, oppression, brokenness. And, and, and not only that, if you, if you go and, and you look at your journal or you look at your, your last five days, your last ten days, maybe not you. I mean, if I do, I can see situations where there are challenges in relationships, where there are financial difficulties, where there are, there's, there's marriage challenges to overcome, there's health problems. There's problems with those around me, there's problems with me that causes problems for those around me. There's bad news everywhere. And if we're honest, it's not just this, this surface level, man, there are bad things going on, but, but at the core, we're all okay. I think one of the things that you know, there was this, this movement, the existentialist movement in the, in the early 1900s, and, and it was this idea of, like, recognizing your own existence and, and, and wrestling with that. And part of what made that such a, it was, it was a bit of a grim uh, experiment, a, a grim, if, if you're reading the readers, there's a sense of just angst. They call it existential angst because they, they realized when I, when I am left alone with myself, there's, there's a twistedness to who I am that it's not just a behavior, it's something about me. And that's not to deny, that's not to deny the, the image of God in our lives, but, but the reality is sin has so twisted us that there's something about me that is wrong. Not something about the things that people do, so I have to respond in a sinful way. Not, not well, you know, it was the way I was raised. Not, well, if my dad had, had been different, or if a mom, my mom had been different, or, or if my, my dad had been in the picture, or if my, my spouse had not treated me that way, or if my kids hadn't done this, then I would be a different person. No, there is something in me, and that's true of all of us, and we find ourselves realizing that we have bad news. The people to whom Israel was speaking were in need of good news, and so are we. He describes their situation with a number of different words. In verse 1, he says, there will be no gloom for those who are in anguish. You know, when, when the Assyrians came, you can imagine as they, they, their troops came in and they took over and they killed people and did terrible things, that there was a sense of anguish. Mothers losing their children. Husbands dying. Wives being mistreated. Terrible things. Anguish. Talks about how it was treated and brought into contempt. We all 
don't want to be treated with contempt. In verse 2, he says, the people who walked in darkness. Imagine again, being in the caverns. That's a funny thing and a fun thing for a field trip for about 30 seconds, but that's not a way you want to live. Anyone who's tried to get to the bathroom in the middle of the night when you're not able to see and you're not quite there knows it can be a painful prospect. They were in darkness and in deep darkness. In verse 4, they're under the yoke of burden, the rod of an oppressor. In verse 5, talking about bloody war. And although we're a thousand, well, thousands of years removed from the original audience, the basic problem of humanity has not changed. We live in darkness, and we can't turn the lights on ourselves. The, the Bible describes our situation in similar terms. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1, it says that we're dead in our trespasses and sins. And then he goes on in, 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 in verse 12 to say that, that we're alienated and without God in the world. Without God in the world. How, how much worse of a situation could we find ourselves in? And Romans 1 talks about how we've been separated. We've chosen the created things rather than the creator. And that brings a separation to us from God. Psalm 14.3 talks about how we're corrupt. And Romans 6.23 talks about how we're subject to death, that no one escapes death. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, and, and death is our lot. You know, we, we can go out to eat. We can have a good time. It's Christmas time. We can go shopping, talk to friends and family, fill our lives with fluff and noise, but ultimately you cannot crowd out the fact that we are all going to die. Merry Christmas. <laughs> but it, we only appreciate the darkness. We only appreciate the light when we see the darkness for what it is. And, and the problem is that so much of what we, what we pursue in, in service of addressing this bad news, are, these are functional saviors. We, we, we see on some level, man, there are things that are messed up, and so we pursue things to try and make it better. Some of you, you pursue it by, by performing really well. You're always active, always doing, always performing, always producing, always productive. And people look at your lives and they say to themselves, man, that person, they have got it going on. But somewhere in there, there's a sense of emptiness because you're trying to do it in order to cover over the reality that, man, something is not going wrong. For some of you, it's, it's, it's relying on relationships to make us feel better and to not feel the alienation that, that we have with God. I mean, how many of us, of our stories of relationships with the opposite sex uh, were stories of us trying to not feel the loneliness that God intended for us to feel so that we might come to him? Yeah. I'm married. I'm so thankful to be married. I'm not really sure. I mean, I tricked her. Learn to play guitar. That's my only move. I don't know. Um, and, and, and I'm so, so I'm thankful for the relationship, but, but my wife can never be my God. And if you're married, you know that because your spouse has needed you to be God. And you've needed your spouse to be God. And we've done so trying to fill that void. 
Some of us have looked at the pleasures of the world to numb us from the sense of dread that we're dead in our trespasses and sins. And maybe, maybe you didn't wake up one day and you just had this moment of just, I will die, and then intentionally started to do these things. But, but there's a sense in which we pursue what is good, not just because it's good, but to numb us from what is bad. It's that thing where you, you're eating a meal and you're like, this is really good. And then like 30 fork fills later, you're like, that was terrible. I feel horrible. Why did I do that? Because I didn't want to stop. I didn't want to feel empty again. You and I, we need good news. And that's exactly what Isaiah promises. In verse 2 he says, the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. In verse 4, it says, The yoke of his burden, the staff of his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. The Midianites had had also oppressed the Israelites, and there's a story about a a, a judge named Gideon, and uh, he's he's, uh, not what you might call a mighty warrior. He was hiding when God came to speak to him through an angel, but God affects this great salvation through Gideon and, and just a few people. And in the same way that, that Gideon and these few people uh, acted as, as God's arm against the Midianites, and God promises to, to free the Israelites and to free us. He promises peace from war. In verse 5, it talks about every boot of trampling, every garment rolled in blood, we be burned for fuel as fire. When you don't need boots anymore, when you don't need guns anymore, when you don't need these things, then you're like, you know what, just throw it in the bonfire and, uh, and grab some marshmallows. That's a level of confidence that, as amazing as our nation is, we don't even have. And he goes on to promise joy and increase. So we, we see that he promises this this good news, and it, and it comes from an unexpected source. Because if I were writing this, if, I was, if this was a movie, you know, you have this people, they're, they're bowed down, they're in slavery, they're, they're, they're in pain, they're walking around, you see just cuts of, of people in, in, in hurt and pain and brokenness, and, and they're crying out, and, and, and it shifts to what the solution is. I think of tanks. I think of... of A strong air force. I think of of mighty warriors with strong swords. And and I think of awesomeness and greatness and bigness. And that is not what God thinks of. He goes on and he says, he says, the people walked in darkness, but they're going to see a great light. And you've multiplied the joy that they have. They're rejoicing. And then he goes, for, in other words, all of these are happening because... The oppression is broken, and, and the war is over, verses 4 and 5. I'm, I'm paraphrasing. And then he says, why is that happening? Verse 6, for God is sending an amazing army. No. For to us a child is born. To us a son is giving. I, Isaiah's news is shocking. And, and I want you to sit here for a second because... We, we, you go to Target, you go to Walmart, it's, it's Christmas stuff, Christmas stuff, baby Jesus, you know, the manger, the wise men, even though they weren't there until a few years later, we just, it's fun, it's a good time, 
yay, a son is born, or a son is given, a child is born, and, and we become familiar with it. But you have to understand, these people were hoping for an amazing hope. And, and Isaiah says, a child's coming. What? Like how old? Like, like is this figurative child, like a young nation, a young army? Young warriors? No, a child is born. A son is given. It's not shocking that God could save them. Isaiah is talking about the same God who said, let there be light, and there was light. It's not shocking that God would save them because God had promised that he would not forgive them, forget them. What's shocking is that he would accomplish this through a child. In, in, in 1 Corinthians, as Paul is talking about the gospel message, chapter 1, he, he reflects on God's strategies versus our strategies. And he says, God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing the things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. How many, how many of you have held a newborn baby? If you haven't, do it. It's great. Babies are awesome. You know what they aren't, though? Scary. I mean, they're scary in the sense of like, I may never sleep again, and I'm so strung out, and please, Lord, help me. That kind of scary. But they're not, they're not wheeling axes, unless it's a foam axe that you put in there and then take a picture. No. Um, they're, they're not strong. They're weak. That's their nature. And God chooses this abnormal, unnatural, abnormal in our understanding and our wisdom way of bringing about salvation. This is, this is not just good news, this is humbling news because we have to admit when we, when we come to the child, when we come to the son, when we come to the nativity, not just, man, God, you're saving, that's awesome, I want to join your army. No, but God, I have to humble myself. I have to humble myself because we have to admit that God's weakness is greater than our strength. Not to say that God is weak, but to speak in terms that we can grasp. And the good news is that this shocking salvation has a glorious future. He goes on and he says, the government is going to be upon his shoulder. That, that word government, mean, government doesn't just mean, you know, they're going to establish a government and he's going to be kind of one of the, one of the figureheads, he's important. No, it, it, it speaks of dominion, ruling, reigning. We, we don't relate well to that because we're a democratic nation and we're, you know, we don't have a king, which is a good thing because humans are fallible and anyways um, but for God to be king is good this child will have on his shoulders the significant mantle of leadership which he'll go on to describe but before he describes that leadership he uses four names to describe this child and the future that he'll have he says he's the wonderful counselor and that word wonderful it's not just like oh it's a wonderful life like let's go Skip together. No, wonderful like causing an awe and wonder. Whoa. He's a wonderful counselor. He's, he's divinely wise. He's a mighty God. Not only is he divinely wise, but he's going to have divine power. Not just human power, 
divine power. He's the everlasting father. So he'll take the wisdom that he has, the, the, the power that he has, and he's going to exercise it in the fatherly care of his people. He's going to love us. He's going to care for us. He's going to come alongside us and, and, and say, this is how you need to live. And in our weakness, when we say, well, I, can't, I can't do it, God, he's going to come alongside us and say, let me help you with that. And then he goes and he says, he'll be the prince of peace. Now, the first three clearly have this kind of divine connotation. They're, they're names that describe God. But ter the term prince was, was used in the Bible to describe human leaders. And so we have this leader who's going to have these divine characteristics, and, then, and yet he's going to be a prince who brings peace. This child, this son is going to be divine, and he's going to be human, and he's going to rule with wisdom and power and care that will establish a kind of peace that cannot be destroyed. That's part of the good news. And he goes on and he says that of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end as he sits on the throne of David over his kingdom to establish the kingdom and uphold the kingdom with justice and righteousness from this time forth forevermore. He's going to establish an ever-increasing kingdom. This is a kingdom that's going to continue to grow. And how is it going to grow? In peace. His enemies will not be able to stand against him. This is not just peace like, oh, I've got peace like a river, just tranquil. I'm going to go out to the Shenandoah and just sit by the babbling brook, and there's, there's peace. No, he's going to be, bring the kind of peace where you either bow willingly or unwillingly, but you'll bow. You know, I, I remember doing martial arts, and we had these, like, one-hand things. You know, you'd grab the other person's hand, and you'd, you'd find ways to get out of it. And I remember first learning that. You know, the, the guy would, he, I grab, he'd grab my hand. Okay, grab your hand. And, and then he does like three moves and you're like, whoa. And, and you want to not be on the ground, but you're on the ground. You're on the ground because he is able to make that happen. And, and the peace that, that Jesus ushers in, it, it's a peace that invites us in, but it, ultimately it'll be a peace that, that everyone's going to participate in. It's a kingdom in the line of David. You know, God had made a promise to David that, that his kingdom would reign, that, that he would establish one of David's offspring to rule forever. This is, this is a good thing, and it's a kingdom that's established with justice and righteousness. And, and that's not just like justice and righteousness out there. You know why forgiveness is really, really hard? It's not just because we're angry people. It's because we're afraid that people will get away with stuff. You know, when people hurt us, and God says, you got to forgive them, you're like, but God, what he did was wrong. And sometimes we have this idea of forgiveness, and I'm using this as an example, but we have this idea of forgiveness is God saying, here, do this, take the offense, get the rug, lift it up, and put it on the rug. And we're saying, God, that's not fair. But that's not what God is saying. He's saying, give me that offense, and I'm going to handle it in my kingdom of justice and righteousness. 
This is going to be a kingdom. So it's not just a justice that's out there. It's not just a, a righteousness that's out there. It's the kind of justice and righteousness that allows you to walk in confidently and say, no matter what anyone's done, I'm trusting my God and I'm living fully and freely, not held down by bitterness, not held down by anger, not held down by offense. And I know that whatever my God tells me to do or calls me to do, I'm going to do it, not afraid of anyone else, because there's justice in this kingdom. There's righteousness in this kingdom. And lest we think that, well, maybe he'll do it, maybe he doesn't. He says at the end, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. You have those people in your life where, you know, you, they tell you they're going to do stuff and you're like, well, we'll see. Right? We'll see. And then you have those people who you can really trust. And you're like, yeah, I'll do that. And you're like, they will do that. I'm not worried. I'm, that's off my plate. And then you have God. <laughs> Where there's never been a thing that he was like, I'm going to do that. And then, the, you know, Tuesday rolls around. And he's like, oh, I forgot. Every single thing that has happened has happened because God said it's going to happen. And I don't mean... That, that's exciting and, and awesome when we think of some things. It's a little shocking when we think of others. But, but somehow in, in, in the economy of God and the wisdom of God, he's ruling and reigning over everything that happens to the point that it can say in Isaiah that, that it was the will of God to strike down his son. And if it's the will of God for Jesus, his son, to die, then we can... We can Trust that everything that does happen happens because God has a plan and a purpose. And he says here that the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. And, and, and this is the promise that he makes. Now, what does that have to do with you and me on Monday? What does that have to do with us? God has offered and given, and we're on the other side of things. He's accomplished this salvation where He's, he's taking people from darkness into light. He's taking people from, from anguish to no gloom. You know, I got stuck on that as I was preparing this. I didn't even touch on it. But it says in verse 1, there will be no gloom for her who is in anguish. Sometimes I'm not upset about the really, really hard things about life. I'm, just a, I'm upset about just how gloomy life is, how dark it is, how depressing it is, how sad it is. You know, it's, it's, that, it's the difference between acute pain and chronic pain. Acute pain, you know, it happens, it hurts, you can heal and get, you get better, right? Chronic pain is this thing where I wake up, you know, 40 years old, and my knee's like, no. Why, knee? You slept wrong for 10 years. Gloom. Like, and your life just gets put down a notch. And down a notch, and down a notch. And there's a sense in which these people were walking around in gloom and anguish, and they'd just been bowed down. And I wonder if they even realized just how low that they were. And he promises there's going to be no gloom. There's going to be no gloom. God has promised this amazing good news from this shocking source. And family, there is a glorious, hope-filled future for us. And as we, as we 
barrel out of, of 2023, as we say goodbye to this, this year that, I don't know about you, but I, like, like Mike said, two blinks. Like, what? Why? Did I black out? What happened? As, as we come to the end of this year, I want to encourage you that there is hope ahead for you. There's hope ahead for you. For those who feel like I'm in darkness, there's hope ahead for you. For those who are in the middle of anguish because of the, th- the situations in your life, there's hope ahead for you. For those of you who are feeling pain and injustice and you're not quite seeing God's kingdom, the kingdom that I was describing, there's hope ahead for you. For those of you with bad relationships, financial difficulties, marriage problems, health problems, there is hope ahead for you. And that hope comes from this child. It comes from this son. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your son. God, we recognize our need that there is something just really, really wrong with the world. And God, there's something just really, really wrong with each of us. And yet, you made us in your image and you intend for us to be those who would reflect your glory. And so you've decided to save us. You've decided to offer eternal life. You've decided to bring salvation. You've decided to send your son. And Jesus, you decided to be obedient to your father. The Holy Spirit, you've decided to work in our hearts, to draw, draw us to yourself and to, to bring about this salvation life. And I pray that you, would, that you would cause hope to spring up in our hearts. Lord, the things that have dis, disconcerted us, discouraged us, depressed us, Lord, that you would help us to see beyond that horizon, further out to the hope that we have that was secured by your son, Jesus Christ, the child who came, the son who was given, the man who died, and the God who rose again. Jesus, we thank you that you are the God-man who reigns and rules, whose name is far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named. If you've never trusted in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, but you want to put your trust in him today, would you raise your hand? You recognize, man, there's something wrong with my life. There's something wrong with me, and I see that Jesus offers a solution. He promises to give us eternal life, a new heart. Lord, for the rest of us, I pray that you would give us grace this Christmas season to love others well, to reflect on your salvation, to take joy in what you've accomplished and what you're accomplishing be glorified in our lives, in this church, in this community, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Merry Christmas, family.